Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. I'm not sure what verse we're going to start with, but let's turn to a verse and then, yeah, let's see. I think probably the main verse we're going to look at is 1 Thessalonians 5, um, yeah, 16, 516, and I just want to mention uh, something that that when I had spoken here previous this year, um, um, just that phrase that the Lord gave me uh, probably sometime last year, that God has made himself accessible to us and ourselves compatible with him. And to me, that's a huge thing because uh, I think, I'm, a, I'm afraid sometimes we look at God's presence as so overwhelmingly distant and mystical and I have to fight and kind of beg my way into his presence to hopefully access a little drop rather than recognizing that he's a really good father and he's made himself accessible to us. And if you're gonna, you go, okay, where's the scripture for that? And I would say uh, Ephesians 3.12, where it talks about with boldness and confidence to come before him. And then also in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, I believe it's verse 15, where it speaks of, therefore with confidence, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. The most holy place, like the same place that if a priest went in and didn't have all his uh, ducks in a row was going to die. That holy presence, that God, that holy place, we are invited to live in his presence with boldness and with confidence. So because of the cross, because of what Jesus did at the cross, he has made himself available to us. And it's one thing to go, well, hey, he's made himself available to people, but, you know, me, I'm, I got my own struggles going on, and I got my own reasons why I'm disqualified this week, this month, this year, this, my life, why, I'm, why I feel disqualified. And so we can have a tendency, at least on a subconscious level, to religiously buy into different lies and condemnation of the enemy to go, yes, he's made himself accessible to us, but there's reasons why I'm disqualified. And I would say again, if we're in Christ, because of what Jesus did at the cross, he has not only made himself accessible to us, but he has made us compatible with him. And I don't know if you've ever thought about the Christian life in those terms, but I want to encourage you to think of your walk with God in those terms. That if you've been born again from above, the divine seed now lives within you, according to Peter, that you've been made a partaker of the divine nature, that you've been made compatible with God himself. This most holy God, you've been made compatible with him. Now, there's also... The maturity process that we tend to use a theological term as sanctification, which just in essence means that we are in a process of growing up. So God's doing a work in us so that the areas 
that doesn't line up with God's nature and character, he's going to deal with that so that any area that's not compatible, he's going to make it compatible with him. That's maturity. That is the process of sanctification. And I'm a weak individual. I, I, I don't know uh, how to express this any better than to say, the older I get, there are things in my, I'm like, man, I thought I would have got over that by now. I thought I would have been more mature in this area. Maybe, maybe there's nobody else here who can relate to what I'm saying. But I'm just saying that there are things in my life, I'm like, really? Seriously? I still deal with those thoughts sometimes? Seriously? Oh my gosh. I, I can't believe that there's still a struggle in this area. And I have an option in that moment to go, okay, either the cross is sufficient, God is who he says he is, and, and I am who he says I am, even, even though this struggle, weakness, whatever, some blind spot that caught me off guard, and either he's fully sufficient in who he says he is, and this didn't surprise God, and I get to agree with what he says in this process, or I can shrink back in the shadows and feel disqualified and feel all bummed out and condemned. And I'm just, I'm like, God, I was never qualified on my own to begin with. Not five years ago, not 10 years ago, not 20 years ago. When, these, when, when, when I looked like I had it all together or I was deceived and I thought I had it all together and I didn't, regardless of my track record, regardless of my performance, regardless of my struggles, my strengths, my weaknesses or how people know me or don't know me or anything else going on in my life, the only thing that qualifies me is the blood of Jesus. So nothing and no one can undo the work of the cross. So I'm going to step through this season of my life with all of my weaknesses and all of my blind spots and going, oh, holy spirit you're my counselor you're my teacher help me show me lead me guide me but my acceptance by the father is independent of all these other things and it's only because of the cross and so I want to see everything through the lens of the cross it's the centerpiece it's the central point because of what Jesus did at the cross he has made himself accessible to me this holy God says now come on into papa's presence I'm a loving father. The, the guilt and the shame, the judgment, all of that, all the condemnation, the price has been paid at the cross and now you have access 24-7 to my presence. The veil has been torn in two and now I invite you to come and live in my presence. Yes. Amen. And I must recognize that it's not just that invitation that's thrown out to everybody, but each of us is sons and daughters. He's made us compatible with him I am compatible with the living God that's so many relationships break up and say, well, we're, not, we're just not compatible you if you've been born again the divine seed has been placed within your spirit you become a new creation a new species in Christ Jesus and you've been made perfectly compatible with a holy father that's good news that's good news. So, um, we'll, we'll get back to that. But um, I want us to, we're going to look at um, a few of these passages, and probably the main springboard is First Thessalonians. And um, we've touched on this before. I just think it's so foundational that we cannot afford to interpret the nature and character of God through the lens of life circumstances. We have to interpret 
circumstances through the lens of God's goodness. And that is a, that is a battle that every human being faces. Okay? Non-believers definitely, and believers alike. But you hear the common phrase from, from people who resist Christianity and sometimes just resist the idea of a God at all. It's like, well, if God is good, then why does? If God is good, then why did? And fill in the blank with a million and one horrible things. Okay? And so what we're doing is we're starting out and how many know that just because you're a Christian, just because you attend church doesn't mean you're not susceptible to that accusation from the enemy. If God's really good, then why did? Okay, the very first lie that came into the universe from the enemy to Eve is, did God really say? And then if he said that, then why would he say that? Because if he's a really good God, then he's wanting to withhold something from you. So that the subtlety of that lie is woven through the fabric of the universe of the enemy trying to uh, uh, malign the nature and character of God to us. And so just because we go to church, just because we call ourselves a Christian doesn't mean that we're immune to that. Where that whisper will say, if God is good, then why did? And we have to flip that around. I believe we have to flip the script and stand on the authority of the goodness of God as revealed in the word of God and the centrality of the cross and say, if God was not a good God, then why would he send Jesus to the cross? If he wasn't a faithful, loving father, then why did he set up a plan from all of eternity past to redeem us? I have to view it through that lens. That if he's not a good God, then why did he provide air for us to breathe? Why did he provide water for us to drink? Why did he provide everything we need? If he's not a good God, then why did he provide that stuff? If he's not a good father, then why did he set up a plan of redemption to redeem us for all of time and eternity? He's a good God. There's other mysteries along the way I don't understand. Tragedies happen. Bad things happen. Life happens. There's real pain and disappointment. But this I know that at the end of the day, God's ultimate revelation of who he is in his goodness was through the incarnation, the perfect life of Jesus, revealing the nature and character of the Father and then what he did at the cross. His death, burial, and resurrection. That is incredible meekness and humility on the part of God to take on human flesh, walk as a man, perfect submission to the Father, be misunderstood, be rejected, be abused, be falsely accused, and walk in meekness and humility, allowing himself to be stripped naked and beatily, uh, brutally beaten as a common criminal hanging on a cross. That is an amazing God. That is a God of incredible meekness and humility. That's amazing. That's the kind of God that we have. And if he didn't love us, then why would he do all that? If he's not a good God, then why would he do all that? It's because he is a good God. And so there's tragedies, there's accidents, there's sickness, there's all kinds of thing that, things that happen as a result of the fall. Good, and good things and bad things happen to non-believers and believers alike. But the privilege that you and I have is to view everything through the light of the cross in light of eternity. That he's a good God and he perfectly displayed it at the cross. This is what I love about this. 
See, because if I get that right, then I'm not determining the nature and character of God or his goodness based on the latest virus to hit the planet. Oh, I don't know. I mean, God's been pretty good up until September 18th, 2022, but I don't know what's going to hit the planet next week. And I don't know. I mean, the price of gas has been going down, but it could shoot way back up. And I don't know. So I don't have to wait for the next headline or the next global event or global tragedy or next economic turn to determine the nature and character of God. It's rooted in the cross. And that happened 2,000 years ago. And that's never going to change. There's nothing you and I can ever do to undo what he did at the cross. All we can do is believe it and receive it and say, thank you, Lord. I'm yours. You are good. Nothing anyone can ever do can undo what he did at the cross. So don't you love that? It's not, it, it is not subject to our wishy-washy feelings that I tend to have. It's not subject to my own subjectivity and, and just going on emotion or feeling or how I, I feel that particular day. No, it's beyond the headlines. 2,000 years ago, the Son of God was murdered on a cross, buried and resurrected. And he is King and Lord of all and will be forever for all of eternity. And there's nothing anybody can change that. And you and I have the privilege of being united to him. Because when we get born again, we have now, we come in Christ. Paul uses that phrase all the time. We are in Christ. Nothing can change that. So I, I was thinking about this this morning. There's a story that I've heard. I don't know who made it up. It's just, a, it's an example. And I couldn't remember all the details. So I thought, well, let me try to come up with a kind of a modern version of this. So I was just thinking about this, a scenario and how, maybe not you guys, but how I can tend to be, okay? Uh, and it's, it's in light of this. Uh, I believe my biggest weakness in life has been to take life personal and not take what Jesus accomplished at the cross personal enough. where I can take life's circumstances, disappointments, and take that personally. Warfare, betrayal, frustration, disappointment, take it all personal, whether it's on a global scale or just interpersonal relationships, take that personal and not take what Jesus did at the cross personal enough. I believe God wants to shift my focus and releases grace upon us altogether so that we take the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished at the cross way more personal than how we take the circumstances of life. Because we can tend to look at the circumstance and say, well, what does this say about me? Well, what does this say about me? And what does this say about God? I'm not so sure. I mean, I thought I could trust him and then this happened and now I'm not so sure. And man, it makes me feel kind of, oh, and I just feel, rather than going, no, that, it's not about me. That's not personal. But when I look at the cross, it's not just objective historic reality. Yes, it is a, an objective historical fact. That is true. And I love it because it's never changing. But it's also personal. Because it tells me everything I need to know about my God. And it tells me everything I know that I need to know about who I am and how he views me as a perfect loving father. 
that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It doesn't say that he was so mad at the world that he gave his only son. God so loved the world. The world. Yeah, but what about that group? Well, God might hate the ideology of that group and that, that ideology might be straight from the pit of hell, but you know what? He loves those individuals who are buying into that ideology. Yeah, but what about that group? Yeah, his heart is broken over the twistedness that's in their mind, but he loves them. And the same blood that was shed to rescue you was the same blood that was shed to rescue them. So he hates sin. Why? Because he really loves people. For God so loved the world. So I need to take that personal for my own life and see the cross as personal for me and view everything through that lens. So I believe God wants to take me on a journey where I take life less personal and take what he did at the cross way, way more personal. So this dude's got this car and it breaks down. Bummer. Oh man, God, I thought you were faithful. My car broke down. <laughs> he has to go out and spend money on a new car. Yay! Oh, God, I got this new car. Woo! You're good. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Man, I got this new car. And then he gets in a car wreck. Oh, God, what happened? I thought you were there. I thought you were faithful. I don't know what happened. I even confessed a couple of your promises last week, and it still didn't happen. But the insurance pays out way more than he expected when that car was totaled. Oh, yes, look how the Lord has come through. Yeah, man, this is awesome. Man, got even more money from the insurance company than I expected. So gets another car. And you know how cars are so unique these days. It's, it's almost like one big iPhone with wheels, you know. It's like a computer on wheels. Especially for the older people in the room, that's more of a challenge. I'm not putting myself in that category, but I'm saying that that's a challenge with all these buttons and everything. It's like, how in the heck does this thing work? I just want to drive. So I'm told by older people. <clears throat> so it's like, okay, iPhone on wheels. And so there's a computer glitch and now the car's not working. Side note, first time I ever visited the Valens Revival, I flew out to Ohio. A friend said, hey, if you fly out here, um, I'll pay for the rest of the trip for us to go down to Florida to go visit the revival I'd been telling about. This is very early on. And um, so we're driving his nice new vehicle. Um, he had hadn't had it very long. We're driving through Birmingham, Alabama. And I'm, I'm driving at that particular time, driving from Ohio down to Florida. And we're right in the middle on the interstate, kind of the downtown area, thick traffic. And all of a sudden, the car just stops. And he... Or, or like, I can't get any power. I'm pushing on the, the gas pedal. I'm like, what's wrong? He said, quit, quit kidding. Just go. I'm like, no, it's seriously not working. What? Are you serious? So we were broke down in Birmingham for a few days, and Talladega was going on, so it was hard to find a place to stay. It, the, every, it, was, it was a crazy scenario. We are stuck there for a few days, and they're like, yeah, um, actually, you were just out of gas, but your computer wasn't reading it right. So we had to get in and fix your computer so that it would, could, the gas gauge could work. So at the end of the day, all we had to do was put gas in, and we could have kept going. But we didn't know that. Okay, so the guy, he gets the car, com 
computer glitch. He's supposed to be at the holiday party for his workplace. Instead, he gets there late. Oh, God, I feel so foolish. Why do these things happen? God, I'm so irritated. I'm so frustrated. Why? And he gets there late. What a bummer. But in spite of the fact that he's late, he winds up winning the raffle for the Christmas work party for an all-expenses-paid vacation to another country. Whoa, God is good. This is amazing. Yes, thank you. God, you supply. You go above and beyond. This is amazing. And then while he's there the next year, there's a terrorist attack. Horrible. But his life is spared. Oh, God, thank you that my life was spared. But he winds up losing a leg in the process. Oh, God, this is so painful. This is horrible. He loses his leg. But out of that, he winds, out of his near-death experience, he winds up with a greater appreciation for his family. He gains a greater appreciation for life in general just to have a second chance and more values and appreciates the quote little things in life and because of this near-death experience has a greater value for eternity and a greater honor for God and draws near to God like never before and finishes out his life with a greater respect and honor for God and lives abiding in his loving presence. And then the next day, no, I'm going to stop there. But it's like, do you see how it's like one thing after the other? It looks like this is really bad. But then, no, this worked out. But then this was bad. That was a very, <laughs> that's someone's life in a very condensed version. That's pretty extreme. But I'm just telling you, I'm capable of rejoicing in this, in this moment. And usually it doesn't happen in such a condensed version. But then something else will happen. It's like, oh, man, oh, this is so hard. But the very thing that was a hardship then led to a blessing. But you don't see it in the moment. But it leads to a blessing. And then you're thankful. Now, hopefully, there's nobody in this room that you've ever previously dated. That you're not like married to now, okay? I mean, like somebody else, hopefully. But do you ever, you ever date somebody and you were devastated when it ended? But then a decade or more goes by and you look back, maybe you found them on Facebook and you're like, oh God, thank you for rescuing me. <laughs> Whoo, Lord, thank you for your mercy. I'm so sorry I complained. <laughs> Can anybody be that honest? It's like, okay. That, that just, that's just one simple example, okay? I'm just saying, there's lots of things in life where it's like, man, it was devastating in the moment, but later on, you're like, oh, God, thank you. See, what I'm trying to do, what I believe God wants to do is grow me up in life is so that when the next thing happens and it's like, oh, this is so hard, that I would remember the last 4,826 times that God brought good out of my situations, and go, oh, I've been down that road before. I know what that's like to get bent out of shape. And then later on go, man, that was stupid to get bent out of shape. God was working good out of it. And to learn from that lesson and go, oh, but God, right now today, thank you that you are good. And my life isn't determined by whether the car works or by whether this happens or this works out or whether they did that or they didn't do that or whether this turns out the way I expected. All I know is that who you are and who you declare to me is only defined by the cross 
Thank you that you're a perfect father. I don't know how you do it, but you're working all things together for my good. I think that Romans 8, 28 is reality in my life, no matter what I feel or don't feel. That's what I love about, one of the things I love about that song, even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. I love that because it's, I, I love to see God work, but how many know he's working even when you don't see it? And I love to feel him working. But how many know that he's working even when you don't feel it? That he transcends our experience. He transcends our emotions. He's just calling us to embrace faith. So I don't want just a flash in the pan kind of faith. I want enduring faith. It sees from the bigger picture. I want my micro to be based on his macro. I want my daily decisions to be based on his eternal faithfulness. And view things through the lens of the cross for all of eternity. And so I, I can't help but think of my parents when it comes to this. Um, my mom in January will be 83. My dad recently turned 80. And it, I, I'm not going to break it down in the condensed way with the made up story about this dude. You know with his car and everything. But I will say that um, my parents came from uh, homes, from families that were just um, dysfunctional and there was just all kinds of junk in their families' backgrounds. And they get saved and then they meet in a Bible school and they, they get married and, um, and then they have kids. I'm sorry, I was going to make a joke about Pastor Dave, my brother. But, um, but I'm, I'm going to hold back. I'm going to hold back. Um, Yay, we're pregnant. And then he comes out and it's, it's still yay. Okay. So anyways, um, I, mean, I, I wasn't around because he's way older than me. So I really don't know. He says he remembers the day they brought me home from the, from the hospital. So anyways, so they, they have four kids and our church up in Minnesota sends our family off to Iowa. So my dad can basically commission him to go to Iowa to pastor a church. And so we, we leave Minnesota and we come to Iowa and it's pastoring a church and God's doing good things. Um, some of us in that context were baptized in the Holy Spirit at this little church. And then he has an opportunity to pastor another small church in another small town in Iowa, just a whole different part of Iowa, and, but just a slightly bigger church. And we go there and it's like, oh, this is a good opportunity. And we go there and then my parents are the last ones to find out that their two oldest sons, my brother Dave and John, were the town dope-smoking um, town drunks as teenagers. And so my dad winds up kicking uh, my two older brothers out of the house because of all the drugs and all of the, the drinking and partying and refusing to submit to their, their rules. And so my dad steps out of ministry because of that. And so in that time, you know, a lot of us have heard on the news saying that the worst inflation in 40 years. Well, this was 40 years ago. And so, and I was really, really, really young. So I barely remember this, but this is what I'm told. So, um, so, so 40 years ago, they kicked him out of the house. He has to step away from ministry because he felt like, hey, I, I don't need to be pastoring in this season while my sons are doing this. And so then, uh, we, we move to this little rental place, don't have a phone, vehicle gets repossessed. Um, my dad says he remembers a time literally where he's standing there and he, he, all the money that he had to his name were two nickels in his pocket. And things were really, really, really tight. 
and him just feeling like a failure, like my sons are drug abusing alcoholics. Want, Dave was turned over to the, to the state for a season um, and just feeling like a failure in ministry as a father um, in all of these different levels, just feeling like an absolute failure. Thank God for people who don't just have faith that's a flash in the pan that's only momentary, get bitter at God and walk away. Thank God for persevering faith that says, God, I don't like what's going on. I don't understand and this hurts, but I know this is that you are good. And at the end of the day, you don't owe me anything, not even the results I was expecting by raising my family in the things of God. I just know that you're good. I know that you're faithful. I don't understand my circumstances and it's painful, but I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. You are good. And to fast forward 40 years to constantly hear my parents' gratitude toward God and their, their thankful hearts to have kids, every one of them involved in the things of God, every one of them involved in different facets of ministry and to see their grandkids going after God and now knowing that they got great grandkids who are being raised in the things of God. Because it's a bigger perspective. can't allow myself to take up offense in the short term. I have to recognize God doesn't owe me anything for from him and to him and through him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. For from him and to who has ever given to God that God should, this is Romans 11, by the way, the end of Romans 11, who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Well, I gave him my, yeah, but I guess whatever I gave him, I got from him. Yeah, but I gave him this. Yeah, but I got that from him. I mean, I gave him my life and this is how things turn out. Yeah, where did you get your life? Well, I mean, I got it from him in the first place. I, I haven't given him anything that wasn't his to begin with. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Nobody. Nothing. He doesn't owe me anything. And yet he's given us all things in Christ. He's a good God. He's proved his love by the cross and nothing and no one can undo what he did at the cross. He's a good God. I'm thankful for parents who have persevering faith. They are in their 80s and they look back. Man, I, they have been through hard things. They have been through pain and disappointment. But you know what? They're in their 80s. And they're not looking back with bitter paint. They're looking back with gratitude. You see, there are people who go through things and all they can see is the disappointment and the pain. And look, we've all been there. I'm not minimizing real pain that happens. There's real pain and disappointment. But there's some people who they buy into the offense and the lie of the enemy and they accuse God's character and they view all of life through that lens. And then there's other people like my parents who the pain and the heartache has been undeniable. And I've only touched part of the picture of what they've been through. But that's undeniable. But they don't view their life through that lens. They don't view their life through the lens of offense at God and bitter. No, they're like, God, you are good. You are good and we are grateful. 
Gratitude is the lens through which I get to view the goodness of God in all of my life. So let's go to this. Let's real quick, let's go to um, Psalm chapter 100 and then we'll get back to 1 Thessalonians. Psalm 100. We used to sing this years ago. How many remember the days when basically every song in church was taken straight from scripture? All right. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God, it is he who made us. We are his sheep, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. The psalmist is getting it right, saying who belongs to who. God doesn't belong to us, we belong to God. Next verse, verse four. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with Praise, give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good and is steadfast, eternal, absolute, committed, covenant love. That word has said, there's a lot to it, but has said in the, in the Hebrew, but they just translate it, steadfast love. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. What I love about this is that when you read the Word of God, you need to remember it doesn't change. This was written so that people in the Middle Ages, in the Dark Ages, when they read it, it was true. And people in Cambodia, this word is still true for them. And people in Vietnam, it's still true for them. And for those who have the Word of God snuck into them in communist prisons, this word is still true. And what I love about this is it says his faithfulness continues to all generations, which includes 2022, when there is such a violent attack against our youth to redefine everything. He says his faithfulness continues to all generations, even a generation who are so confused, so bound, so hurting and cutting themselves and rejecting themselves and they don't know who they are. His faithfulness continues even to that generation. Even to a generation that has access to more twisted ideology and more twisted garbage from the pit of hell right in their palm than any other generation. He's still faithful to that generation. That's just a side note, but he's that good. So, verse 4. Enter his gates with what? Complaining about CNN and Fox. Enter his gates by... Complaining about politics. Now listen, hold fast to your political opinions. Get them really informed and let them be based on scripture, okay? And vote. By all means, vote. If, God's call, if you even have an inkling, God might be calling you to get involved in the political realm, get involved, okay? But there's a difference between being proactive, saying this is what God has called me to and we need to be responsible people as kingdom people that are going to believe and pray and vote for the best for our nation and someone who just goes, sits back and complains, watches news all day and complains about it. There's a difference between that. So, release the kingdom into the political realm. Fast, pray, vote, get involved. Meanwhile, how you access his presence is not through complaining. 
Believe me, I've found the hard way. I've come before the Lord. Lord, I'm really struggling. I just need to be in your presence. And man, this is wrong. This is, this is, where's your presence? It's like, you didn't give me the password. Yeah, but I've been telling you what's going on. Yeah, this and this and this. Okay, but you haven't put in the password. The password is not grumbling and complaining. The password is thanksgiving. Tell me what you're thankful for. Because gratitude, God says he opposed the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And gratitude is an expression of humility because it recognizes, you know what? I, don't, I didn't earn this. I didn't get this because of anything I did. It's all free. It's grace from beginning to end. Every good thing in my life is because God's a good God. I did not earn it. The cross is about grace. And so I come before him with thanksgiving. Any good thing in my life, it's because God gave it to me. And he probably used a whole lot of people in this place to give it to me. He used my family, he used my brothers and sisters to bless me with these different things. But any good thing, it didn't derive, it didn't originate from me. So I cannot boast. I just need to live in a posture of gratitude. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. So now let's go back to uh, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5. Anybody want to know the will of God for your life here this morning? I'm about to unlock this mysterious key that has been kept hidden for millennia, for ages past. What is the will of God for your life? Some of you are wanting to know whether you should quit your job, whether you should get to take a new job, who to marry, where to live, all these different things. I'm about to answer it right here. Verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Congratulations, you just, just discovered the will of God for your life. Woohoo! Aren't you glad? You can walk out of here going, I now know the will of God. This is awesome. So here's the thing. This is the will of God for every one of our lives. And most likely, most likely none of us will know the other details of the will of God until we at least to a small degree begin to embrace this general will of God. So the general will of God for every one of our lives is to rejoice in the Lord always. I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think if there was no other verse in the Bible, like if that was the only verse in the Bible, I would say, this is a challenge. Okay, forget about other verses uh, that are challenging. Just this verse alone. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Didn't Iowa State beat Iowa the other day? Yeah. Okay. That means all the Hawkeye fans in here rejoice in the Lord. It's like, ah, oh, seriously, including that? Yes. And all you Iowa State fans, most every other year, rejoice in the Lord anyways. Okay? So, it's just rejoice in the Lord always. This is not easy. But it says rejoice in the Lord always. Pray without ceasing. This is a house of prayer. And I believe God is calling his American church to a place of prayer like never before. But if you do not have coupled with that a lifestyle of prayer, 
it can lend itself to a lifestyle of complaining. If you're focused only on the problem and not focused on the goodness of God in the midst of the problem. So in between this thing of praying without ceasing is this whole thing of rejoicing and giving thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances. Seriously, Paul? Are you really serious? All things? How about just most things or some things or except for that area over there, except for when this goes back. And yet Paul is saying all things. And you got to remember, a lot of Paul's epistles were written from prison. Ah, oh, it's like, seriously, you got to remind me of that? Yes, Paul's epistles, a lot of them were written from prison. So the guy who's writing this has been shipwrecked, beaten, left for naked, left for dead, starved, scars all over his body. And this is the guy saying, hey guys, just want to remind you, this is life in the kingdom. Rejoice always, give thanks in everything. Pray without ceasing, but let that be sandwiched between rejoicing and giving thanks. And so I will tell you this, when I find it to, when I find those moments where it's hard to rejoice, and there's plenty of them, I go, God, it's really hard to rejoice right now. It's like, that's okay, son. Just focus on that other one that says give thanks. Mm, okay. Lord, I, I don't feel joyful, but Lord, I'm going to choose gratitude. And I'm going to remind myself as the psalmist did in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Forget not all of his benefits. And I just begin to remind myself of the benefits. I think that's one of the reasons why God instituted communion for the church. Because it's something physical and tangible in your hand that you can engage with on a regular basis that reminds you of the demonstration of the goodness of God for all of eternity by what he did at the cross. Because every time I eat the bread, every time I drink the blood, I'm reminding myself of the cross. And it's, it's the ultimate example of the goodness of God. So I'm choosing gratitude. And the more that I choose gratitude, I can't help but to experience some measure, at least a small measure of joy. Why? Because it's recalibrating my soul. It's putting things back in perspective. This might be going on. That might be going on. I still haven't seen a breakthrough in this area. And there's a national concern with this area. And there's, we need national breakthrough. And then there's breakthroughs my family needs in this area. And there's these concerns. But I know this. You are good and your love endures forever. So in the process, while I'm still praying for breakthrough in this area of my life, in this area of my family, in this area of my, my region, and on a national level, while I'm pressing in, I'm going to choose to give thanks for his goodness. I'm going to choose to give thanks for who he is. Last verse. Let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I hope this is, all of this is making sense. And just uh, pray the Holy Spirit ties it all together nicely so um, Ephesians chapter 5 okay verse 15 Ephesians five fifteen. look carefully then how you walk not as unwise but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil I think Pastor Dave has probably been touching on that lately that that, that 
crazy evil days that we're living in, okay? We need wisdom from above. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Don't get intoxicated on the things of this world. Literally, don't get drunk on alcohol, okay? Uh, Bible makes it clear. New Testament's clear. Don't get drunk on alcohol. But I think we can take this in a bigger context too of don't get intoxicated with the things of this world. Don't get intoxicated with the seduction of this world. Don't get overwhelmed, whether it's by alcohol or any other pleasure of this world or overwhelmed even by the fear of this world, the fear and the anxiety that's in the environment, that's out in the world, okay? Don't let that control you. But he says this, but be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. You know what's interesting about that is? It doesn't say, unless you come from a very conservative background, then it's okay. You, you don't need that. Only if you go to one of those really crazy Holy Ghost churches. No, Paul doesn't say that. God in his sovereignty knew that there would be Presbyterian, Baptist, Nazarene, uh, Pentecostal holiness, Foursquare, fill in the blank, Episcopalian, every kind of church that would ever exist. God in his sovereignty knew that when he had Paul write this. He's writing to anyone who names the name Christian. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And then he says this, verse 19, addressing one another, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's that giving thanks and everything again. But this is so weird. This is what, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Amen? But then he says this. And this is the context for being filled with the Spirit. This is, this is either part of the process of continually being filled with the Spirit and or overflowing with the Spirit is this. He says, addressing one another... Not as, well, Sister Allie, it's so good to see you this morning. God bless you, sister. <laughs> sister Laura, Pastor Laura, so good to see you this morning. Not, not addressing people like that. Like, wouldn't you think that that's, you know, kind of how you address people? Hello, sister. Oh, it's so good to see you, Jenny. Bill, Brother Bill, hey, good to see you, man. Sorry about Dak. Hey, God bless you, my brother. Okay how we would normally address people. He says, addressing one another with psalms. Well, that's kind of weird. Hey, good morning, Psalm 103. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? That's, that's kind of weird. Hey, good morning. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Don't forget his benefits. I was, I was just looking for the coffee. What do you mean? That's, that's a little intense. Can you wait a while? I'm just trying to find my coffee. It's addressing one another with psalms. And then he says hymns. Like, what's up with that? Well, good morning, Amy. It is well, it is well with my soul. How are you this morning? It is well with my soul. When peace like a river 
And the context is the guy lost all of his business in the Chicago fire and then lost all of his daughters in a shipwreck and he inserts a word like bliss into the song. Oh, the bliss of knowing this. Why? Because he was focused on the cross. He was focused on the goodness of God and added a word like bliss. That, that hymn. That's the context for that hymn. Paul says, addressing one another with psalms and hymns. Like, that's weird. I don't think most of us do that. And then the last thing he says, it was spiritual songs. As opposed to the non-spiritual ones. I, anyways, he said it was spiritual songs. I don't know. I mean, he's talking about singing in tongues to one another. Maybe. I don't know. But he's like addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Can you imagine what that would be like if we all came together on Sunday morning and one third of the room was addressing one another with psalms? But the other third was addressing each other in hymns? And then the other third was addressing one another in spiritual songs, whatever those are. I don't think that'd be kind of chaotic. I'm not saying we should or shouldn't do that. I'm just telling you, this is a weird, I'm just admitting, it's a weird verse to me. But this is what Paul says. So whatever you do or don't think of that verse, we do know this. The theme throughout these different passages is entering his gates, entering his presence, and being filled with the spirit, and the starting point is gratitude. Amen. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Making melody in your heart. But then it comes from a place where it's not only in your heart, you let it bubble up and it flows out to those around you. Where you're addressing one another out of that place of gratitude. Out of that place of thankfulness. How many are grateful for the cross? Man, I, I want my gratitude to grow where I see everything through the lens of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to see everything for the lens of the goodness of a faithful father. I want us to stand in his presence. Let's just stand up in his presence. We got a few minutes left and I want us to stand in his presence and engage the word of God. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.